if you only have love for your own race, then you only leave space to discriminate. And to discriminate only generates hate. And when you hate, then you're bound to get irate. Take control of your mind and meditate. Let your soul gravitate to the love, y'all, y'all. People killing, people dying, children hurt, and you hear them crying. Can you practice what you preach? And would you turn the other cheek? These people got me, got me questioning. Where is the Welcome back to this week's podcast episode, Make Climate Cool Again. I'm your host, Sarah Miltenberger. If you're new or just starting here, this is a podcast about sharing social entrepreneurship and stories from environmental leaders about positive climate change and and to inspire people. And one of the main themes of this podcast is that we're not perfect. Even as leaders in this industry, we're not perfect. We all make mistakes, but we are constantly trying to be better. And last week, as you know, uh, I didn't record a podcast episode. Maybe you you caught that or maybe you didn't. Um, I you know, didn't have a guest lined up at the time just because of sh- schedules. And I was planning to do a solo episode about my Tesla experience in honor of SpaceX and the NASA launch. But... With everything going on in the world right now, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel good to write. And I just honestly didn't have the motivation to finish it. I felt that it was just far too tone deaf and I needed to check myself and to think about my privilege and what I've been able to do in my life. I needed to listen, to watch, to support the Black Lives Matter movement around me, to have those tough conversations. And I've always wanted to spread awareness and educate others. That's why this podcast exists. And and I was just questioning about how can I even spread positivity if I don't feel positive? I feel sad. I'm grieving for George Floyd, for Breonna Taylor, for Ahmaud Arbery. It took, and all the others, it, it, it really took action on my end going to protests, donating to charity, creating local resources to support Black-owned businesses, and to start to feel like, okay, we can all do this together. I started seeing the positive and creating a game plan to support the movement and the change. And I think the biggest realization I had was to use my platform here to educate people on environmental justice. We talk about a lot of different kinds of environmentalism, and one we just really haven't discussed yet is how most environmental issues negatively affect minorities and specifically black people for far more than others. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to bring on guests that work for New York City and for nonprofits that support education and policy around climate justice. I also wanna add that, you know, I'm doing the best I can to educate you on issues that are difficult they aren't easy to talk about or listen to and I'm kind of doing my best to explain them in the best way possible so I hope that I share this information um, how I share this information is helpful and if I make a mistake on something I am open to criticism and learning so what is environmental justice so the EPA defines it as the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income, with respect 
to the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. EPA has this goal for all communities and persons across this nation. It will be achieved when everyone joins the same degree of protection from environmental and health hazards and equal access to the decision-making process to have a healthy environment in which to live, learn, and work. So that was written in 2015 when we had a different president because we all know the EPA is a mess right now and the Trump administration really has no has provided no funding for environmental justice. And I think writer Leah Thomas has a better definition or simpler and it's environmental justice is the intersection of both social justice and environmentalism where the inequity in environmental degradation is also considered. Okay, does that make sense? And we need environmental justice because there is very much such a thing as environmental racism, which is defined by Benjamin Chavez as racial discrimination in environmental policymaking and enforcement of regulations and laws, the deliberate targeting of communities of color for toxic waste facilities, and the official sanctioning of the presence of light-threatening positions and pollutants in communities of color, and the history of excluding people from color, people of color from leadership of the environmental movement. So that's pretty awful. And you're like, well, how does this even happen? How could we allow this to happen to people? I mean, I'm sure we all know about pollutants and and dumping of chemicals everywhere. We just don't always think about where wh- who lives there. Like cuz it's not happening to us. Right? It's it's typically happening to minorities and and specifically black people. So I think one way to explain environmental justice is to tell a personal story of my uh how I was made aware of sort of this like deep divide. So back in 2016, I'm not sure you guys remember, but New Jersey kind of got trapped in a social media spiral that there was lead in water samples at public schools. Lead is really dangerous for children, uh, especially grades K through 8, and it affects their brain development. It can lower IQs. Um, It can cause ADHD and a whole host of other health problems. Now, New York City which is right next door to New Jersey, knew about this and secretly hired all of the environmental remediation firms in the area and had these firms go to hundreds of schools in New York City to test the water. Now, I don't know if you know this also, but the New York City public school system is the largest in the United States. More than 1.1 million students are taught in more than 1,700 public schools. Let me just say that again, 1,700 public schools with a budget of 25 billion across seven boroughs. So my company at the time was responsible for a few hundred. And I'm not gonna go into a ton of detail about the testing process. I will say that to test for lead, we needed to collect water samples in vials with a very specific kind of acid in it to make sure that if there was lead that it wouldn't degrade. And so we would like go to the schools in the middle of the night to run the water, map out where all the entry points for water is so it's like 
fountains or where you wash your hands, sinks. Um, and you, you would write, write out hundreds of labels. Big schools had, you know, a lot of bathrooms and water fountains. And some schools took longer than others just because of size. And it's obviously the middle of the night, right? 11 o'clock, midnight. You're like running around this, these empty schools trying to collect all this data so you can get home, maybe sleep four hours before you have to get back up again, get back to the school, and then sample. And at first, I was testing schools in like FIDI. So the financial district of New York obviously is like one of the financial capitals of the world. Like they bring in millions of dollars. And a lot of these schools, again, public schools, were super fancy. Like all new facilities, super clean. And according to some New York City census data, the population of FIDI is 64% white, 22% Asian, and 3% black. So I'm just trying to paint a picture here of the, the kind of people in the financial district. And and then as we worked our way up, the, the city, one of the last schools I did was in the Bronx. Now the Bronx is about 44% black which you might think, oh, that's not a huge percentage. Um, that doesn't seem like it would be the majority. But there are also a lot of other minorities that live in the Bronx. 56% of the population is Hispanic or Latino. Now, there's a reason I remember all of this very clearly, so just stay with me. So this one school, it was really old. It was really so old that the knobs on the doors were like original New York public school brass knobs that were repurposed. They were like etched really beautifully. And I noticed them because they were really like, they've got to be from like the 1920s or earlier. Now, in addition, a lot of the sinks and water fountains didn't work. There were like almost 100 or more entry points for water and half of them did not work. And I remember thinking to myself when I was mapping out the school that like, that's crazy. How could you have young kids going to the bathroom with no way to wash their hands? How did they not have water fountains that worked? I was blown away. And it probably wouldn't have affected me too much until what happened the next day. So the school again was large. I had a few people working with me gathering water samples and I'm like, we're all rushing because we needed to leave before the school opened. And this, again, we were secret. So kids and parents weren't supposed to know what we were doing because it could cause panic. And one of the vials had acid on the outside and it got on my pant leg. Now this acid is not the kind of acid you want to mess around with. You have to get it off right away with water. But there was no running water near me. I couldn't get it off. And to kind of cut the story here, I ended up getting like third degree chemical burns on my leg because I couldn't rinse my leg off with water because the school didn't have any. They, they weren't given the funding to make sure that they had it, that there was water flowing through the pipes. Would that have happened to me if I was in the financial district school? Probably not. Is that right? Absolutely not. So yes, the story is... A personal experience I had but that's when I really noticed that there was such a big difference and I think we all believe that clean running water is a right but that just isn't the case in so many places and a lot of us take clean water for granted we just turn it on expect it and even if the sink doesn't work we just go to the next one 
And for those of us that experience an abundance of water, we don't think twice. Similar to New York City, there are many communities like Flint, Michigan, where you absolutely can drink the water. Because again, lead from pipes have created extremely high levels of neurotoxins. It made people physically ill, some died, and it clearly violated the Safe Drinking Water Act. And what's worse is that the Michigan government knew about it and responded very slowly once issues did arise and it really could have been avoided. But Flint, Michigan has a largely black population and a largely low income population. So those in power really did nothing because they weren't a priority. They weren't pushing a bunch of tax dollars over there. They weren't lobbying the way bigger businesses could lobby. There are literally hundreds of articles on what happened in Flint. I urge you to read more. It's probably one of the most well-known environmental justice cases in the last 10 years. But there's another aspect of environmental justice that I want to talk about that's even a bit bigger that I worked with when I was like an intern in college, and it's about Superfund sites. Have you ever heard of them? In 1980, there were more than like 400,000 toxic waste sites and 500,000 abandoned mines across the United States. And under a specific law, we call it the Comprehensive Environmental Response, Compensation, and Liability Act, CERCLA for short, um, but, or Superfund, CERCLA or Superfund. You know, this, back in 1980, 400 sites were identified as needing immediate attention and added to the national priorities list. That number doubled a few years later, and now today, there are approximately 1,340 Superfund sites in the United States. But hold up, there's actually an unknown number of Superfund sites in the United States because there are many sites that have yet to be uncovered. It's safe to say that these toxic areas will never be clean. They're just so damaged and mutated due to industrial waste, sludge, chemicals, you name it, life cannot be sustained. A step below Superfund sites are brownfield sites. They're basically just like not as intense. They still have contamination and hazardous waste, um, but they're not, it's not as bad. I guess I never thought about why it's called brownfield sites, but it's not great. So why am I bringing attention to Superfund and brownfield sites? Well, because according to research out of Vanderbilt University that studied race and proximity to toxic sites, which I'll have cited in the description of this episode, there is data that shows how Superfund and brownfield sites are primarily located in black communities. Some of you may say, well, that's Tennessee. That can't be everywhere. No, there actually there was a study done by the EPA and the Department of Housing and Development that found that 70% of the nation's most contaminated sites are near low-income housing. Okay, well, maybe you think that all these buildings must be old. Maybe they didn't know. No, again, just last year, the Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority gave funding to build low-income housing on or near a Superfund site in East Chicago. And over 200 properties in the area around the site are being cleaned up due to abnormally high levels of arsenic and lead. Okay, so let's back up now. 
It shouldn't be hard to figure out why we don't want anyone living on a property with high levels of any kind of contamination. It significantly impacts your health and people that are living paycheck paycheck probably don't have access to great insurance. And it's just, it makes life exceptionally harder on people that are already struggling compared to others in society. And they don't have a lot of power to ask for change or for more funding because it isn't a priority. And on top of all the other issues in our society, we are poisoning the poor, specifically poor black Americans. And it's hard to hear, but it's even harder for those living it every day. And a lot of it comes down to zoning issues. And like the research from Vanderbilt mentioned, there are people making a decision to allow residential areas near these sites. They know that most people don't want to live there. But they know that many poor people and marginalized groups don't have a choice. And that's where they will end up. So what's the positive here? Where do we go from here? Because I know we're all seeing a lot of negative. And I just wanted to continue to provide context on the Black Lives Matter movement that is happening around us. If we all want to live a greener, healthier life on a more intentional planet with less waste that is more resourceful. We have to pay attention. And I know that I always talk about how hard it is to be perfect with a system that won't let us be perfect. Well, doing all these things brings awareness to fix a system. Recycling, asking for for more, right? We less we go out and use plastic cups, the less cup cups these companies buy and like these small steps can like fix this larger system because of the domino effect. Well, it's the same thing with environmental justice. We have to understand that we cannot allow black people to take the hit on this stuff. We can't turn a blind eye. We have to pay attention to our local politics and elections because that is the time and place to vote when you hear about how some of the population might be impacted. That's the time and place to stand up because it's not about us. It's about having a perspective that's bigger than us. And this episode has, like, we've barely skimmed the surface. (laughs) There's obviously a lot more going on. And that's why I'm bringing experts on the podcast to talk about it. But I think that's why I truly think we can make a change. Because sustainability people, people like you that are listening, those that want to make changes in their daily lives for the better, they do it because it's good for everyone. It's not just good for them. It's having a community perspective. It's understanding that small actions lead to bigger change. It's believing that we're kind of all in this movement together. And I love that. And I think that's powerful. And I think that's, for all change, we need that perspective. I highly recommend checking out some of the options to volunteer near you. If you head on over to Patagonia Action Works, you can actually find environmental groups and issues that need your help. Sometimes they just need skills. Maybe you can make a bunch of things on Canva for social media to help. So 
like I've said on this podcast before, there are a million ways to live a greener lifestyle and there are a million ways to get involved. And they're all different. And you can choose what works for you. And I think that's what makes it so great. That being said, if you liked this style of formatting for the podcast, please let me know. Shoot me a DM over at May Climate Cool on Instagram. Share the podcast. Let people know. This is 20 minutes for people to just have a new perspective. And, and podcasts are an amazing form of entertainment, but they really require you, the listener, to pay up a little by sharing with friends and family. The goal is to grow and educate more people. Otherwise, I would like force my family to listen to me talk several hours a day. And trust me, I do that enough already. So I know that this week has been tough. It's been eye-opening. It's been educational. And we need to continue moving forward. I'm learning every day. I'm doing what I can to support the cause. I know I'm not perfect. I'm doing my best. I know I will continue to bring guests that are more racially diverse with different customer segments. I'm looking into how to make sure I have diversity on this podcast because we all want to know different perspectives because we want to help. We want to help end environmental racism. We want to pursue environmental justice because black lives matter. Thank you so much. Sending you all positive thoughts and love. It just ain't the same, always in change New days are strange, is the world insane? If love and peace are so strong Why are the pieces of love that don't belong? Nations dropping bombs, chemical gases Filling lungs of little ones With ongoing suffering as the youth are young So ask yourself, is the loving really gone? So I could ask myself, really what is going wrong In this world that we living in? People keep on giving in Making wrong decisions, only visions of them dividends Not respecting each other, denying thy brother going on but the reason's undercover the truth is kept secret it's swept under the rug if you never know truth then you never know love what's the love y'all come on i don't know where's the truth y'all come on i don't know where's the love y'all people killing people dying children hurting hitting and crying when you practice what you preach and what you turn the other cheek I'm getting older, your people get older. Most of us only care about money making. Selfishness got us following the wrong direction. Wrong information always shown by the media. Negative images is the main criteria. Infecting the young minds faster than bacteria. Kids wanna act like what they see in the cinema. 
Whatever happened to the values of humanity? Whatever happened to the fairness and equality? Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity. Lack of understanding leading us away from unity. That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling under. That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling down. It's no wonder why sometimes I'm feeling under. Gotta keep my faith alive till love is found. Now ask yourself. We got one more, one more. That's all we got. One more. 